Hi, floppers. Before we start our regular nonsense, we wanted to make sure you knew the Flophouse is going on a four-city West Coast tour this January. It's the Flophouse Errors Tour, the biggest event in pop culture entertainment this year, probably. You can see us in Vancouver on Wednesday, January 24th at the Rio Theater, in Portland on Thursday, January 25th at the Aladdin Theater, in San Francisco on Friday, January 26th at Cobb's Comedy Club as part of San Francisco Sketchfest, and in Los Angeles on Sunday, January 28th at the Regent Theater. For tickets, go to flophousepodcast.com slash events. Again, that's flophousepodcast.com slash events. The Flophouse Live. It's like the podcast, but you can smell us. And now, without further ado, our regular nonsense. On this episode, we discuss Santa with muscles. Santa with muscles? Call me when he's got skin, bones, and organs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And we have a guest. Who is it? <laughs> Identify him. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very special guest today. That's right. It's December. That means it's Christmas time. Uh, Sighs the Jewish member of the of the hosting <laughs> party. Uh, but that also one means of the good. Us. One of us. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse to be one of you. <laughs> But the good thing about Christmas, because otherwise it's nothing but bad things, is that the Flophouse gets joined by one of our favorite guests. That's right. It is our annual Christmas movie correspondent. He is the chief U.S. film critic at the Film Verdict. Sounds very fancy. I'm glad he was able to slum it with us Flophouse boys. That's right. It's Alonzo Duralde, the man who puts the— Christ in Christmas? <laughs> what? Does he? <laughs> uh, I, I go by the Christmas atheist usually around here, so, you know. I, oh, I they're the opposite. That. Well, he's, he's the man that puts the moss in Christmas because we always want more <laughs> when he's with us. He, he lives moss. <laughs> uh, thanks for having Dave me back. Navarro. By the way, you know, Elliot, the, Christmas pop culture was pretty much created entirely by Jewish men. So like, without Irving point. Berlin, without, you know, like, so, Jesus. so really— for instance, yes, going that far back. So yeah. you know, you, you've got a hand in you. You have a there. You have a, a little bit of a stake in this. I guess so. I would I would call it a maybe a collaboration <laughs> in a sense. But you know, that's we wouldn't need to get into that. Christmas, it's a great time of year. People love it. Some people call it uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, and do you mm-hmm. subscribe to that to you, feeling? Alonso? It was Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I am a most wonderful time of year person just because like I this is my my obsession and it's become sort of like a part of my career now. So, uh, but you know when when the holidays roll around, I need my tree up. I need some eggnog in the fridge, and I need to see you lovely boys here. So oh, it's great oh, to be back at the you. flop house. Thank you. We're so um, glad to have you. Dan, so, what do we do you, on this podcast usually? Well, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it, and uh, we consulted. With Alonzo, who tossed out some titles, and <laughs> I think it was Stuart who re- replied to the list of titles with an all-cap, Santa with muscles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it. The muscles, uh, of course, being a, no- a notable bodybuilder uh, that appealed to you, or? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's part of it. It also is, I think it was the dumbest name. 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, Alonzo, it sounds like you do a lot of podcasts with buff nerds. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you know, look, uh, I, I, we've all got a calling in this life and apparently mine is to be with, you know, muscle heads who like to paint Warcraft figures. So <laughs> I've accepted Warhammer, it, but that's okay. Warhammer, sorry. Let's see. It shows you what uh, I know. Don't make me beat you up. Also, <laughs> my lot in life. But yeah, yeah, like you know, it's funny. I, I I thought I threw out Santa with muscles, thinking, oh, that would be a great Flophouse episode. Without thinking, oh wait, I have to watch it again and yes. talk yeah. about it. So, <laughs> that's you know, that happens learn me. to us too. It's like we'll we'll talk about movies that we're going to talk about. And I'm like, oh, I'm excited about this one, and then I'm watching it, and I'm like, ugh, why? Why <laughs> yeah, did I have to of, do this? Part of our dictate. I prefer is my to- Santa with clams, but you know. <laughs> 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 oh, Santa droll. marinara. <laughs> um, Santa Parmesan and yeah. the uh, so the here's the thing with Santa with muscles. It also gave us a chance to uh, drink in the charisma of everybody's favorite public figure, Hulk Hogan. Now I would <laughs> just, a, just a lovable guy, Before just a lovable badass. Dan's about to defend him. No, 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 I don't no. think that's the right call. No, 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 no. Before we get into it, I do. Well, Dan I do. is Dan is a Hulkamaniac. He should make that clear. Yeah, I do. He's ripping his shirt off right now. About. <laughs> The strange phenomenon of Hulk Hogan, because I was watching this movie and I was remembering, of course, when when we were young. And life was so wonderful. There was yeah. Hulkamania. Yeah. Hulkamania swept the nation. Everyone loved yeah. this. This firebrand man with a blonde mustache who uh, was balding up front, but long hair behind, who would tear <laughs> his shirt off. And it the is words hard say to things like Hulkster. was on everyone's lips. Yeah. I feel like it's hard to communicate, much as the same way when people who were victims of the dancing sicknesses that yeah. would sweep Europe would have to explain to their grandchildren why they suddenly felt the need to dance in medieval times. That to explain to my children why Hulk Hogan became maybe the most popular man in America at a certain point, I think will be hard to do. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm I'm getting at because I was watching this movie and I'm like what was it? <laughs> <So> <laughs> like Gamera, he was up. friend to children. He was yeah, friends to all true. children. I think he was he was such a I mean this movie's from what 1996. Yeah. So it's a little mm-hmm. late in the Hulk uh yes. in in yeah. Hulkamania's reign, but he was such the perfect wrestler for the Reagan era especially, like where where he was his thing was I'm all American. I love America. And I am kind of the establishment official, like, wrestler. Like, he was not, until he left the WW, then WWF, and and started, became like a bad boy for Wiki Mikio yeah, for a while. Yeah, he joined NWO, and yeah. he, like, got a little five o'clock shadow painted okay. on. Yeah, but he was, but the idea was he was, like, for in the wrestling world, his character was the ultimate good guy. The ultimate, like... I fight for what's right, eat your vegetables, stay in school. And I think maybe what uh, made him exciting was the tension between that and what an obvious, like, uh, what an obviously not that person he was. I don't know, mm-hmm. underneath all that. But for kids, it was like a real-life superhero, maybe. That kind yeah, of right. like he He's wound so strong up, and he's real. Yeah, he wound up, I think, being kind of the model of Florida man. But yes, before we yeah. really had a, an under, collective understanding of what that meant, yes, he could, he could pass himself off as like, you know, the, uh, yeah, America's, wow, number one USA, you know, guy. He was Mr. T for white people, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Kinda, yeah. That's a way to put it, yeah. He, I mean, he the- was like— Mr. The T, I mean, he, was the, he was the Pat Boone to Mr. T's Little Richard, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is instructive because the best I could come up with was like, I guess he looks really distinctive. Like he's got a big face with a big mustache and big eyebrows. You know, well, there's something. There's the thing. He's distinctive at the same time. He does not look distinctive. 
he is. Yeah. For, I think especially for a white wrestling audience, he's just kind of like a big white guy who, who's blonde. He doesn't look weird aside from his goatee mustache. And, and the fact that he is still super blonde for his age. Mm. Yes, and he's, yeah, and he's also hugely buff, you know. But otherwise, he has the, I think there was something that made him stick out because he had the least amount of gimmick compared but, to other wrestlers. But he wrestlers. knew how to mug, which I think yes. really comes yeah. in handy as a pro wrestler. What's weird is that in this movie, though, he does very little, it's a very subdued performance from him. At times, yeah. it feels like he thinks he's still reciting his lines to himself before the camera rolls, <laughs> and he does his actual take. Yeah, he's so I'm quiet. every time they, they start a take, I'm like, did they bonk him on the head again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he seems concerned that he might be in a serious drama at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I think is funny, but you can tell where this is on the Hulk Hogan scale of descent because, you know, this is a guy who he starred in a in at least one feature film that was in theaters. Who was what, like, like Suburban Commando was in theaters? Uh, no Holds Barred. No Holds Barred was in theaters. No Holds Barred, and yeah. And he would be up against, like, big guys. And in this one, you actually have a fight between Hulk Hogan and Ed Bagley Jr., <laughs> which is not Who's a matchup tall? that anyone— He's tall, though. <laughs> yeah. He's tall, that's true. I mean— yeah, His reach is good. The matchup we've all been waiting for. I, this, this, I'd this rather is, see Hulk Hogan versus Ed Bagley Sr., to be honest. It seems like more is, of a fair match. This is probably jumping ahead, but, like, our hero— is a big muscle-bound guy who sells, like, body, like, supplements. Yeah, yeah, he's like a fitness guru. And the bad guys are a bunch of, like, reedy science nerds. And I'm like, if you were going to ask me in real life who I thought would be more likely to be an evil man, it's the man (laughs) hawking his, like... His snake oil with, uh, you know, well, from his mansion. But also he starts out as a, I mean, Stuart will go through this as he talks about the plot. He starts out, it's a classic Christmas redemption arc. He starts out as a selfish guy and he becomes a selfless guy. So there's a little bit of that in there. But it is also, it does feel like the climax of the Green Lantern movie where it is Ryan Reynolds as a hunky jock versus a nerd in a wheelchair. <laughs> and he's supposed to be rooting for the jock who has superpowers to defeat the nerd in the wheelchair. Yeah. I was kind of hoping the climactic battle would be about whether or not climate change was real because I think it was going <laughs> to really go at it for that. That's true. I wonder if they talked about it on the set. It was an issue in the 90s, you know? Okay. would bike to work. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Uh, whereas, whereas, whereas Hulk Hogan would drive there in a Jeep powered by other Jeeps being crunched up into cubes <laughs> and then put into the gas yeah. tank. Uh, oh, he was—he had a Hummer. You know he had a Hummer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Let me, uh, let's start up this piece. Okay. So, act one begins. Uh, the movie opens with a letter to Santa, uh, warning of a mean man named Ember Frost. Uh, they're in Ebner, the town of- I think. Like, like Abner Is Double it? Day, but Ebner, yeah. Yeah, Ebner. Oh, yeah. It only says uh, Ember because every time I write Ebner, my auto-correct. phone <laughs> autocorrects it reasonably. <laughs> they're like, Surely uh, you meant. That's, yeah, that's incorrect. That's not a word. <laughs> um, they're in the town Lakeville, which is being ruined by Ebner Frost, uh, including uh, he's also trying to get rid of the orphanage. He seems to be some kind of evil land developer of unknown uh, plan. And this letter being written to Santa is being written by a young orphan named Elizabeth Bentley Walsh, which sounds like a fucking blue blood name. To it me. does. Like, it does not sound like an orphan name at all. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless literally 
the way she became orphaned was her and her parents were walking through Crime Alley after seeing a movie. <laughs> the name mm. does not does not fit her situation at all. Yeah, yeah, if her parents died at like Truman Capote's Black and White Ball, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> yep, they were killed by a uh, an unknown assailant using lightning gloves or some kind of gas attack. Uh, those are characters later in the movie. Okay, yeah. oh. so after after this opening that kind of uh, shows us a town in turmoil, uh, <laughs> we a we town are introduced in to turmoil. Our a hero. Santa with buzzles. We are introduced to our hero, Blake Thorne, played by Villain Hulk name. Hogan, who is dressed up. He's a like a rich fitness guru. He's like the richest man in, what, three states, four states? Something like uh, that. The, ca- it, the county, at least. Yes. Yeah. And he in, this, is, in this town of Lakeview, which is clearly somewhere in Southern California, there's not a lake to be seen. It's a very dry climate. Yeah, but it's a strange yeah. name for the town. Arid. Um, yeah. So he is a fitness guru. He's dressed up in uh, camouflage fatigues, and he is beating. It looks like he's sneaking into a rich mansion, and he's beating up a bunch of staff. Turns out they all work for him. This is his regular drill, <laughs> uh, which explains why they fought both enthusiastically, but also not very well. Yeah, sorry if you thought this was a how to blow up your pipeline. How to blow up a pipeline? But, you know, uh, that's shot how to the blow rich. up your pipeline. <laughs> how to blow up your pipeline. How to get your pipeline to blow up on social media? Um, <laughs> yeah, this also all of his, uh, you know, his staff seem to really enjoy this too. It's not like a situation where they're like, "Could we please have a job where we don't get." you know, smacked in the face with golf clubs or whatever, you know, but they're really into it. They're it's like into Inspector it like Kato's. Kato yeah. thing happening here, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's he's also like clearly a self-obsessed asshole and he's like dictating rules to his staff who kind of give looks like, oh, what an asshole. But the thing is like, they've been working for this guy forever. They would be used to it by now, I think. What was and the later they he- put their lives on the line for him. Uh-huh. He like gives some like the first rule that we hear him say is like something that is just like an aphorism. I forget what it was, <laughs> but it's like not not unique to him. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah, he's like, put that down, put that down. It's great. I'm on fire. I'm like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Shut up, future <laughs> Santa, Santa with muscles. There, there's no there's no real billionaires like that now. So. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. No. The thing is it's uh, so outlandish. That's the thing. It's unbelievable. <laughs> when he, so t- he's when like, he tells when he tells his, his employees, he goes, if you see me, if you meet me walking down the road, kill me. They're like, "That's you didn't invent that. The Buddha invented that. And he's like, whatever, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, Blake Thorne is clearly like a Scrooge for this modern era. Uh, he His paintball game gets a little bit out of hand, and it <laughs> le- leads to a police chase, uh, including police officer Clint Howard. Uh, In one of his more dignified roles, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I would say so. He gets to kind of be a hero at the end, so sure. The police chase leads them back to Blake's former home, Lakeville, the previously mentioned Lakeville, where he hides out in the nearby mall, which is in a tough situation because they are missing their mall Santa Claus. There's a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of elves, but nobody can find Santa Claus. So he uh, <laughs> it's a classic it's a classic corporate organizational problem is too many elves, not enough Santas. <laughs> uh-huh. So this is this is the this is where Act One kind of gives us a little bit of a pause. We learn we've learned a little bit of the setup. Now to get a little bit, let's deepen this mystery. Meanwhile, on Ebner Frost's uh, land, <laughs> one of his henchmen, Dr. Blight, 
is torturing a local business owner, and then he brings in his trio of other mad scientists who continue to torture this guy, I guess to sell over his land or business. His, his or shoe yes. store. His shoe store, thank you. Um, okay, now back to Blake. Blake sneaks <laughs> into the mall to avoid do you wanna, the police. Do you want to talk about, do you wanna talk about the, uh, the individual henchmen that uh, that Frost has, oh, or you they, want to save Were that? they weird, Elliot? Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were slightly eccentric. They are so all Dr. Blight, scientists Dr. Blight that looks like uh, Doctor Blight looks like uh, Lucas Haas in Widows, but with a lab coat on. Oh, I was going <laughs> to say sort of like a stretched out Richard E. Grant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like a mishmash between them. Yeah. Okay. And then he has a trio of mad scientists. Who can you guys describe these guys for me? Uh, there's one sort of like a stocky balding guy who his thing is smells, I guess. Like he's like gas oriented mm -hmm. chemist, but he has cool. like a bunch of methane. Kind of a Hans Moleman type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Dr. So, Vile, I think is his name. Yeah. yeah so excuse for like a lot of essentially fart jokes. Um, even yes. though he's not farting, he just has gas just, on him. But, he just but he's constantly like being like, I'm that not actually him. farting. Yeah, um, and there's an electro lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's yes. got like electro gloves. Dr. Watt. Watt. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Watt. Is that it? Is there another one? No, there's, the there's one, one other guy. The third one who, I'm, I'm trying to look up the name of the actor because he was the one who was the most recognizable of those actors to me, who is Dr. Flint, who is the, mm -hmm. who is the geologist. Uh, uh, Kevin yeah. West is his Kevin name. West, who's in, he's an actor who's in a lot of stuff. Like you'd, you'd recognize him from a lot there's of stuff. There's not things. a lot of, uh, not often are your mad scientists geologists. Now what, yeah, what is <laughs> no, his very name? rarely. <laughs> I, mean, aside, I mean, the most, I guess the maddest scientist it gets is Clarence King, the superstar geologist of the 19th century. And that's more because in his private life, he, uh, he convinced a, an, uh, a black woman that he was also black and lived as his, her common-law husband under an assumed name for many, many years. Oh. But that's more of a, that's not like a mad scientist-y type thing to no. do. It's just, a, it's just an out-of-the-ordinary thing for a geologist to do. Yeah. yeah. And this guy, like, I guess he says something menacing, like you'd make a beautiful fossil. I'm not really sure how he's menacing himself, but all of these appear to be like criminal scientists. <laughs> like, yeah. like they broke out of Arkham or something. They, they were know. all thrown out of various respectable institutions. It's like, yeah. yeah, the geologist will do terrible things to you, but it will take thousands of years for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, so I'll, he, I'll have your bones to, to study. I'll wait. And just stands there with his watch. I'm going to turn you into oil the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Time and pressure. Uh, so yeah, they, so those are his. Uh, those are Frost's. Uh, Frost, who is also like a germaphobe, right? He always has yeah, like he's a, a, a hazmat yeah. suit. He, he's he talks to people eating. via TV. Yeah, he mainly communicates through TV, which is like carried around by his henchmen, which is pretty funny. Um, okay, uh, and by pretty funny, I mean come on. What else? Like, sometimes <laughs> what do you want, guys? Um, okay, <laughs> I mean it is so. the, it is the it is the most fun thing in the whole movie, probably yeah. that he he communicates via television. Yeah, like Doctor Mabuza or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, Blake sneaks into the mall to avoid the police. This is once again a very rich man <laughs> uh, by himself sneaks into a mall to avoid the police. He steals the Santa costume as a disguise, but Officer Clint Howard catches on. He hides in a garbage a Santa Claus, A Santa Claus costume that very unbelievably fits this enormous man who has wandered into the mall. Yeah. Well, yeah, also, yeah. like, he's, he's like, Agent 47. Or maybe Lou Ferrigno was supposed to play Santa Claus <laughs> that if day. Or if you're a Santa without padding and with muscles, I guess maybe yeah. it all works out. Uh, maybe. The muscles don't go in the same place the padding does, Good right? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> he's mean to a kid, too, which is what, like, Clint Howard is like, 
there's something funny here. And I'm like, I'm the one who's mean to kids. I'm like, I don't know. Like a mall Santa who's like not on the job right now being mean to a kid. That tracks for me. Yeah, But yeah. that's yeah. the weird thing. This movie is playing a game. It's, it's on a delicate tightrope the whole time between kind of characters kind of understanding that he is just a person pretending to be Santa and also thinking that he is Santa. And it's kind of hard to tell at any given point whether the characters believe he's actually a magical Santa Claus <laughs> or not. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to that because now that he's in a costume, <laughs> he hides in a garbage chute, and then he gets bonked on the head by a giant plastic Santa, and he loses memory. <laughs> Luckily, Lenny the Elf shows oh, up. Lenny the Elf. <laughs> he steals Blake's wallet, realizes who he's dealing with, and then he convinces Blake that he is, in fact, Santa Claus and not an yeah, not, but not Blake before Thor millionaire. Doing a big dance when he, he finds the wallet. He does do a big dance. Now, Lenny the Elf, what do we feel about this performance on a, on a scale of overbearingly big to you want to shoot yourself big. <laughs> really needed more shtick, I thought. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah, it is really funny it. this guy is so committed to this that he, like, he follows Santa around for the rest of the movie, basically. Uh, I mean, well, willing to sleep in an orphanage just to maintain And he the also ruse. seems to know that he is, like, the lovable sidekick grifter character. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't ever for a moment feel like he's going to actually, like, steal a bunch of the money. He feels like he knows, like, the Santa needs a, a wacky sidekick. Well, Man, he keeps Rob trying, though. Like, dying he, that he didn't like, get this role. Apparently, it's an ATM that involves a thumbprint, so he's, oh, like, yes. sticking around, yeah. trying to get so, the glass. It. And, but he, the, the, the performance, I would say, fits in more into the, care, the, the tradition of the British panto, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, where, yeah. You, yeah. where they just said super, egg, everything's wildly exaggerated and, and fourth-walling to the audience and stuff. That he's, he's going that hard with it. And so why he is not, like, playing Aladdin you know, somewhere in, you know, <laughs> upper Hertfordshire right now. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I understand Panto because I saw the recent season of Drag Race UK where they did a whole Panto challenge. Okay. Oh. So, and, uh, I, I, and I understand Panto because I often use Panto to bread cutlets uh, in, in, <laughs> before frying. Yeah. And mm. I understand Pantone because uh, <laughs> it's what I use to choose colors for the wall. I'm actually uh -huh. wearing and a pair of Pantos right now. <laughs> and I and I love panettone because it's a delicious cake that lives in a box forever. For Christmas, it is a it is a a baffling product. So the, the, oh, I love it. Uh, it's more, okay, more so of a sweet bread. I'd say anyway. So <laughs> no, it is. But it is. It, it, they set up. Okay, he wants to steal Blake Thorne's money. He wants mm -hmm. to clean out his bank account, so he needs his thumbprint. So, of yep. course, he has to go with him in the guise of an elf to an orphanage and live there indefinitely. <laughs> and I just get thinking, like, does Lenny not have a house? Does he not have a family? Like, what's no, going it's on? It's a long con, Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we know he needs money because he owes he, – he lost a bet that seems to be with Dr. Blight. Because, uh, yeah. but it, but it was for like fifty dollars. He, he's like, I'll get you the money. And then the woman who's running the Santa thing at the mall, she goes, fifty dollars to whoever, everyone, anyone who can get me a Santa. And he's like, Hold on, I might be able to get you that money. It's like, wait, so this is is this over a fifty dollar bet? Yeah. And there are hundreds in Blake Thorne's wallet. So even yes. without the ATM, he's got his hands on some cash immediately. You but have he to smells really, a bigger payday. dollars yeah, he, gone. It's the classic sunk cost fallacy where he's like, I think, I don't really know what that means, but it's like, just take, <laughs> just take the money you've got. Don't go for the big score of, I guess, emptying his bank account and using his credit cards. That's just more like, of a 
is Bird it worth the, the hand situation? Exactly. I think maybe. Yeah, is it worth the time you're going to spend living at an orphanage? <laughs> yeah. to to do this. <laughs> He's he is in for the rush of the con. That's what he loves. Yeah, yeah. uncut gems is, yeah. all over the place. Um. Okay. So, uh, Blake decides to be Santa in the mall. Uh, we get some a montage of that. Uh, as we said, Lenny tries to use the talking ATM, but it won't let him because it needs Blake's fingerprint. It needs a thumbprint. And now, when he's now when Blake is the Santa, that must be pretty hilarious, right? Him interacting with those kids. Well, it feels like they shot some footage and then they just used everything they shot, none of which is funny or edited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there is one point where a misbehaving kid gets lifted up, but I'm like, I could probably do that. Kids aren't yeah, that yeah. heavy, right? <laughs> um, okay. So some thugs try to steal the orphanage, uh, the fund, uh, there's like a little fund for the orphanage set up near Santa's. Yeah. They're not uh, trying workshop. to steal a whole orphanage. That would no. so hook it up to your car, pull it away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what Ebner's literally trying to do, Elliot. Um, that's true. Good point. So thugs are trying to steal the fund to like save the orphanage. Uh, but Blake, of course, stops them. He throws them around. There's at least one moment where he throws a guy and they speed up the footage to make it look funnier. I want to ask you something seriously. You know, when even when you were a child, <laughs> yeah. was sped up footage ever funny to you? Because for me, there was no point at which I was like, this makes it funnier. Dan, I can't speak for myself because I don't think I ever did, but having recently sat with my older son while he watched The Mighty Ducks for the first time, uh-huh. there is a chase scene in that where the footage is sped up and he was laughing his <laughs> shit out. He thought it, like, it was, it was so funny to him. He's like, he literally said, look at this. <laughs> well, well, have so you he really this is comedy, Dad. <laughs> saying, look at how you fast know? they're running. Did Can you, you know believe that they, they could, could do, do this? this? Yeah. <laughs> It's great. I mean, I oh, think man. I think what, it depends on what it is you're speeding up. If there's like a lot of people like throwing pies or running into walls or falling on their ass, like I think there's a way to make that work. But there's so little happening in this movie that so little happening faster is not going to really be a yeah. A, a, but a, if you like set up like, like a, a porno, lasci- it'd be pretty funny. Yeah, like a lascivious <laughs> older gentleman who is chasing young women around, sure, like back sure. and forth across exactly. the screen. and maybe pieces yeah. of clothes get. Caught on things. Yeah, uh-huh. like patting an running. old bald man on the head is not that funny, but if you speed it up, then it then yeah. it's, it could get pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> what okay, kind so of sax is playing? I feel <laughs> like <laughs> happening. Uh, I think I'm going to have, let me look what I've got. Let's see, yickety, yockety, uh, yackety. <laughs> yickety, Guys, yockety, you. <laughs> I do not know why we are not just packaging this for a BBC Maestro course right now <laughs> on the art of comedy. Uh, okay, People are so, listening to this podcast at one and a half speed as we speak. That, so. that, um, that's true. true. And it's funnier that it hurts way. hurts my heart. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you, you, your heart has to beat that fast what, yeah. when this gets sped up. So, uh, <laughs> the, port, the podcast of Dorian Gray, when it goes to double speed, it ages me twice as fast. Oh, man. This podcast this has whole... definitely aged me twice as fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Would that mean that this ride is almost Zing. over, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Blake has stopped the thugs. Everyone loves Santa with muscles. So Blake <laughs> rides off to on uh, Lenny's moped, uh, and they he sees a sign for the orphanage, and he's like, I have to go to there. Um, <laughs> and they decide to ride off together. He's kind of like a, the Terminator at this point. Yeah, he kind of is. And that's about the he, – he, his line deliveries are, for the most part, robotic. 
Because mm. he's mm. like, Santa's a robot, right? They're like, uh, <laughs> only in Futurama. And he's like, works for me. I mean, when, when he was talking to those kids earlier, like, it's interesting to think, like, he seems to want to play it like a genuinely, like, confused, sad man who has no yes. memories. Yeah, yeah. like, like he did a little too totality. much amnesia research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, does, it does feel weird that... Hulk Hogan, of all people, is trying very hard to underplay this part throughout the movie. And I don't know if it is lack of enthusiasm or too much enthusiasm. Like you're saying, he's like, I'm going to finally get into this character. How would he feel about what's going on? (laughs) I have to create a contrast with Blake Thorne and Santa. So I'll make Blake Thorne kind of a loudmouth, and I'll make Santa a quiet, thoughtful, meditative (laughs) man. (laughs) And the whole time I'm just desperately trying to remember my own name, but I'm also having to function as Santa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. Uh, so meanwhile, <laughs> uh, to function as Santa, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm what's called a functional Santa. Uh, being a Santa doesn't get in the way of my regular I was life the that well. Runner up of the Santa <laughs> contest, and since Santa was not able to do his duties, I of course take over. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Frost's goons threaten the head, uh, the woman who runs the orphanage, uh, and they steal the statue from out front. They are about to get away, and they're about to run over groundskeeper Garrett Morris when Blake uh, and they're driving That's an right. ice cream truck. Finally, the Hulk and Ant Man are in a movie together. Finally, <laughs> he. You've been saving that one. Yeah, I was thinking about it while I was watching it. Yeah, uh, I was shocked by how willing this movie seemed to be to like have the villains almost run down Garrett Morris. <laughs> they get very close. Unfo- uh, luckily for everyone involved. Uh, Blake grabs the chain that is attached to the back of the ice cream truck and stops them in their place, which is a feat of strength. Shocking. Yeah. Also, tensile strength, because that could have easily destroyed that ice cream truck. Um, okay, and then... Uh, <laughs> or pulled his arms right off. That's yeah, just, <laughs> I mean, more like... Let's, let's just say Santa with muscles has a tortured relationship with physics. <laughs> <laughs> so the goons run off. Uh, they decide to have uh, uh, Blake and Lenny are welcomed at the orphanage. We get to meet young Mila Kunis in her, I guess, what? Is this her big screen debut, Dan? I didn't look it up. I, I don't why. know. This, was this released in theaters? Was it a big screen? It, for two <laughs> weeks, yes. Oh, for, okay, then it, then it might have been. Let's take yeah, a look at her filmography. Yeah, it was at Sitkey's. And, uh, okay, so. Uh, no, she had previously been in, uh, oh, that was a Showtime TV movie. So you know what? It, she debut. was previously in the made-for-television film Piranha. Mm-hmm. And then right after this, she was in Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. So it was, I think this was the yep. big screen Her debut. theatrical yeah. uh, debut. Oh, yeah. wow. Mila, Stewart's if you're listening, Can, get in touch. Uh, everybody make a note of it. Tell us she, your she, memories of Santa with muscles. <laughs> she, wouldn't, she wouldn't appear on the big screen again for another two years when she shook off the curse of Santa with muscles to appear in the blockbuster Krippendorf's Tribe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> but here, here's movie. the lesson. If you're going to be the, you know, if you have the choice of being the adorable Moppet or the wisecracking, uh, you know, person at the side commenting, through the side of their mouth, be the wisecracker, you'll have a better career. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very true. Yeah. Okay. So they have uh, I'm living dinner. proof. <laughs> they have, there you go. They have dinner at the orphanage. Uh, Santa and Lenny decide to stay the night. Uh, and Lenny continues to gaslight Blake. Any chance there's a moment where Blake's like, maybe I'm not Santa. He's like, no, you're totally Santa. Let's put on these pajamas that are actual like Christmas pageant costumes and sleep in bunk beds together. <laughs> Which I don't know if I tried to climb into a child's bunk bed, I don't think I'd be able to fit. 
let alone, and I'm not a Santa with muscles guy. No. Yeah. Indeed, no, no. Yeah. There would also be other problems if you were doing that. You'd probably get arrested. Yeah, well, that's that's the main that's thing true. is that Eb Ebner Frost is trying to shut down this orphanage, and really all he has to do is call child services and say, the orphanage just let in two strange men, <laughs> and they're sleeping in this next door to the children. Not, neither of them seems willing to identify themselves. Yes, I know there's only three people in the orphanage, but still. <laughs> it is so the a very, the orphanage is running. It, and it's kind of sad. They go to the orphanage and they're like, we found parents for all the kids. Well, the kids we could find parents for. <laughs> and so it's like the idea that these are the three reject kids that nobody wanted is, is very sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, have, you have Mila Kunis. You have uh, Elizabeth Bentley Walsh who wrote the letter in the opening. <laughs> and then you have a kid who's given off some real Barry Kagan vibes. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> That kid, I feel like that kid was in a lot of things. He's he was in a, a lot, lot of stuff, stuff. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, meanwhile, over breakfast, Lenny steals a milk glass with Blake's fingerprints. That's right. We get a very long, slow-mo scene of Hulk Hogan drinking milk. Um, for all you <laughs> milk fetishists out there. Um <laughs> Elizabeth schools Blake on all the rules of being Santa. I did not write them down or pay that close attention. Uh, Mila Kunis improves the Santa suit by making it look like something you could order out of international mail. <laughs> by making it out of <laughs> nanobots now. So yeah. <laughs> he can turn into Santa with muscles wherever he is. Uh, if yeah, you were doing a Santa-themed burlesque show, this is what you'd be wearing. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it does. It does feel like he, he goes, he's gone from traditional Santa to Chippendale Santa very fast <laughs> with his costume change. The a local uh, reporter shows up and interviews Blake to be for the local news. It doesn't go particularly well. He seems confused. This local reporter, not very good at her job, I'll tell you, because like there's no <laughs> pre-interview before she puts this person on the air. And then later on, right in the middle of interviewing Clint Howard, she decides she's going to run off and talk to one of the you, you got to go with the scoop. You got to go where the yeah. story is. I, maybe but, she shouldn't you know, be live, I think. Is the yeah, thing. maybe yeah. not live, yeah. She just needs the rush of live TV. That's what they mm -hmm. always talk about. With Saturday There's also Night not so, much of a story that she's chasing here. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah. All those other really cool stories the in Santa Lakeville. Santa has muscles, Ooh. though. It is, it is the kind of thing you get on public, on uh, on uh, local news, though, is where they're, they're like, we talked to a local crazy person who's doing something out of the ordinary, and then the interview goes weirdly, and then they're like, Okay, we did it. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. I, do, I do like I do like that uh, that Hulk Hogan was like, as an actor, I'm going to be doing a man on the street interview. My options are be totally crazy or totally confused. I'm going to go confused. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, meanwhile, Ebner Frost and Dr. Blight see the news story, and they do not like this. No. Santa with muscles has got to go. Uh, so Santa and Elizabeth uh, sing Angel Baby together in the uh, orphanage's uh, Is this chapel. Some other song because it's not the Angel Baby that I know, which is of course the one that goes Angel Baby, my Angel Baby. That it's not that. I one. don't know that, that song, one. and I didn't know this song. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I'm assuming this is an original. But Alex, can you cut put some music underneath Dan singing Angel Baby so I can recognize it? <laughs> yeah, Dan, go do, do it again. Angel uh, Baby, I really had a very good year. That one? Yeah, uh -huh. that's it. The, yeah, it's trying to seduce an angel just like I do Santa Baby is seducing Santa. I want to have sex with an angel all made of... out of lots of wings and eyes. Like, yeah. I really want a new Seraphim. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'll I, accept a cherubim too. <laughs> yeah. As somebody who doesn't, uh, I don't particularly love Christmas, uh, but I do kind of love horny Christmas songs. <laughs> okay, interesting. Uh, just because they're super weird. Um, uh, Anna okay. and the Apocalypse has a good one. <laughs> what? Oh, okay, I'll check that out. That's yeah. one of my favorite community bits. When uh, did you see that? Like, there's a bit where like Annie sings a song that is basically Santa Baby, but like you know, like their funny version of it, where it's just her like being as babyish as possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like her like intelligence devolves over the course of the song. It's like <laughs> I think you left sexiness behind. <laughs> it's very good. Check There's no out. sexy Hanukkah songs. Look for them. You won't find them. Uh, okay, so they sing Angel Baby. Waiting to be filled, Elliot. Get on it. Yeah, well, I guess I you dreidel could, could, you could do a, a dirty parody of dreidel, dreidel, dreidel words, dildo, diddle, dildo, dildo. But that's not- I think you're you halfway still there. Still yeah. Light my fire. Like, you've got all kinds of options here. Yeah, Oil me true. up, you know. Yeah. You could be, what, Mom, the Alex Alex Herman Herman days, for a new- baby. Come on. Something about king a miracle. Of, king of winter holidays over here. Yeah. Um, okay. Do it like so a they, Maccabee, something like that. Yeah. Maccabee, my baby. A lot of hot oil. That's something that could be worth Yeah, yeah. Enough oil for- Eight days. <laughs> I've got an, uh, I don't want to know what the oil is, though. That's, <laughs> That's the, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Usually, uh. usually we have sex for one minute, but now we're going to do it for eight minutes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like, what are I you in your twenties? For enough oil. <laughs> 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 It's a, it's a Hanukkah miracle. <laughs> oh, we're going to make uh, it last, baby. <laughs> so again, Hulk Hogan and a little girl sing this song, Angel Baby, together in a chapel, and then time passes to night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a poetic transition, <laughs> Stuart. <laughs> uh, okay, so the Goon Squad shows up. Guys, I keep saying Now, is this Goons the Goon Squad from the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel A Visit from the Goon Squad? Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought it was the, the, uh, somebody the gang Egan, the right? Goon Show. And, you know. <laughs> Peter oh, Sellers I wish. again. Yeah. I uh, I had to explain to my wife, uh, because our friend Ashley Atkinson uh, is one of the featured actors on the show The Gilded Age. Yes. And somebody on Twitter pointed out that they uh, they like to engage in uh, gooning parties with their friends whenever her character shows up on screen. And oh. I had to explain to my wife what gooning was, which was, now, you know, pretty Could fun. you pretend that I'm your wife and explain it to me? <laughs> I think it's where, like, you just, like, hang out and jack off for a long time. Possibly denying yourself uh-huh. uh, release. Now there's a party involved. Yeah, in this? like you're just hanging out with your buds. Jay yeah, Owen. and Dan, now you know why Popeye is, was always trying to get off the island of the goons because he didn't want to do that. This is he didn't why want to just sit around by, edging. There's a party in my pants, and everyone's invited. Is Kinda. Okay. Do they zoom goon or do they? Is this in person? I mean, I didn't get all the details. This was on Twitter. Maybe I should uh-huh. ask more follow-ups. I mean, okay. Mrs. Fish is, you know, a provocative character. Provocative character. In one, in one uh, episode, she even had a, a boob cutout, a boob window Mrs. in her dress. Fish. <laughs> That's her character's name. Okay, yeah. I'm unfamiliar You gotta watch the, the Gilded show, Age, but, dude. Okay. It's got Carrie Coon in it. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Coon? Now, the, there's a Coon Goon party. <laughs> uh, uh, every day. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. So the Goon Squad shows up, and okay, keep what it chill, What a Christmas chill, episode man. this is. <laughs> oh, boy. Tis the season. Uh, so the Goon Squad shows up and they threaten. Happy uh, horny days. They, they, uh, <laughs> oh God, Dan's turning into one of those text messages. Like, those like group text messages. That's like, and for those insert, who celebrate, happy Goonica. <laughs> it inserts all the like bad porn puns into the whatever. Okay, I don't uh, get these text messages. What are these text messages you're getting? Groups, dude. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the bad guys show up and they threaten them by throwing the statue head through the window. 
Blake then goes out and promptly just whips their asses. <laughs> like there's no moment when he is not going to whip their asses. And he, and like and it's totally self defense. He walks out and the doctor Blight seems to think he can handle Santa with muscles and takes his stethoscope and hits him in the face with it. Like he's mm-hmm. lashing him in the face with a stethoscope strap, which or like which or with with the end of the stethoscope, which is much more brutal than I expected to see in a movie called Santa with muscles. Yeah. That opens with uh, a little girl reading a letter to Santa. Mm-hmm. And he does some a couple of spin kicks that I'm sure the actor had been practicing and really wanted to do. <laughs> uh, but all for naught, uh, Blake beats them up quite easily. And they drive off, but in the uh, in the mayhem, they don't realize that one of the one of the kids, one of the orphans, has slipped away. Of course, he must have gone to uh, Ebner Frost's mansion. So, uh, and that kid is Taylor. I just checked my notes. The kid's name is Taylor, everybody. Okay. Uh, so they, <laughs> they done your due diligence. the third and final orphan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they of had the three to, orfsketeers. Everyone always forgets Taylor. <laughs> they head to Frost Mansion, which is, uh, I don't know, like a house with a bunch of weird steam vents outside, right? It's clearly a mansion that they have rented or belongs to one of the producers of the film, possibly, and that they have outfitted with the least the kind of skin of fake science stuff to make it okay. look like a mad scientist mansion. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, which um, reminds so, me, uh, Alonzo, we haven't even talked about the producer of the film, which you oh, reminded yes. me of over text <laughs> earlier. I, I was, I was, I, I'm always surprised when I revisit this movie to remember that one of the executive producers is one Jordan Belfort, who you may know <laughs> oh, better as Lord. the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> they left the part out. Oh. Why Scorsese he didn't cover his years producing <laughs> Santa right? with Muscles? I know. I, I, know. I totally <laughs> want to see a scene where Leo is on the scene, uh, the, the the set of this movie, and you have to wonder. It, it kind of throws the whole thing into perspective. Like, is this entire thing some sort of complicated tax dodge, like money laundering? scheme mm. like it's like well we have to make something like is is this basically springtime for hitler yeah. for the wolf of wall street like i don't know i or wish ju- I knew. or just an attempt to get to hang out with hulk hogan which is something i could see him wanting to also, do yeah. yeah this is true although it's weird you you talk about this being sort of later era hulk hogan like if you're thinking about fu manchu mustache mullet like muscle shirt uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, he's he's he is committed to the bit of playing like this billionaire. So it's he's almost sort of like keto makeover Hulk Hogan. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah. It's, it's it's not the the one that we're used to in these movies. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Which none of those I'm, like what are those not zebra pants? What are those pants called? <laughs> Zubas. Zuba. Yes, yeah, yeah. He's not wearing the Zubas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's why you do podcasts with us, Muscle Boys. We know the the <laughs> we got the vernacular down. And this is also, and this is this is kind of like late early Hulk Hogan as opposed to late late Hulk Hogan, where he's mostly suing Gawker out of existence <laughs> with Peter Thiel's money. <laughs> Yeah, I think somebody described him, described him as showing up to court like he's the pallbearer at a boa constrictor's funeral. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I don't deserve credit for that joke. It's uh, not mine. Um, okay, so uh, they find Taylor outside of Frost's mansion. They scold him for carrying a, uh, a slingshot and they send him and Lenny home. Uh, they... I guess he decides to like investigate what uh, Frost is up to, which is to basically like take over the town and find something underneath it. Uh, he doesn't so, learn that much new information. Yeah. To be so honest. they, but they realize uh, he does realize that whatever Frost wants is under the orphanage. Mm-hmm. So that leads 
all the orphans and everybody go under into the catacombs beneath the orphanage. <laughs> this is the where the vault. movie went from the movie I thought it was going to be to the movie I didn't quite expect, and I was and but hoped it would take a turn like this. Yeah. Uh, underneath the church, there's a massive vault that has a combination <laughs> lock that seems to have stumped the kids, but Blake somehow realizes that he knows the rest of the combination. How curious. Mm -hmm. They open up the vault. It leads into a cavern filled with precious gems, rare electroconductive quartz crystals that explode. <laughs> yeah. And they can, they generate, these are stones that generate their own electricity and are explosive. And I remember getting to this point in the movie and just being like, movie, I didn't think you were going to surprise me, but you did it. <laughs> you got the best you surprised me. That's, that was my take, basically, where it's just like, this movie could have easily been exactly what you expected, and it's not good, but at least it took the energy to do, take make weird choices. It's like a seven-year-old telling you a story, and it's like, and yeah. then they go underground. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it could have easily been Santa with Muscles does a charity wrestling match to save the orphanage. Saves the orphans, yeah. That's yeah. it. But instead, they said, hold on, what's the opposite of that? How about a cavern of electric crystals <laughs> that exists under the out of the orphanage yeah. with a vault door with a mysterious combination? I was like, this just turned into a point-click video game, and I love this. <laughs> yeah. How about it's not just a land developer who wants the land the orphanage is on. It's a scientist who knows that there are magic crystals underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, it's something that kids can understand. Go yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not like kids are like, oh, I understand the, the value of land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Lenny continues to keep lying to Blake, but he's starting to get cold feet. He's in contact with Blight, and he doesn't know if he wants to go through with it. Dr. Blight shows up at the orphanage, and uh, he gets chased around by Santa, leading to a confrontation in, I think, like the bell tower? Yeah, the orphan orphanage's yeah. bell tower. Very yeah. vertigo. Um, and yeah. Santa gets knocked off the bell tower and lands, uh, Santa meaning Blake, of course. It's hard for, even I have trouble. I confuse sure, they even blur you or taken yeah, in yeah. by the magic of Santa. Uh, yeah, he gets knocked off the, the bell tower. He, he lands in a garbage truck uh, where <laughs> before passing out, he sees a can of his protein powder. What? Uh, he then, Blake then wakes up in his own mansion uh, Wait, before we move on, I want to give Dr. Blight credit. This is, I think, the third time that Dr. Blight has gone one-on-one -on -one with, with Hulk Hogan. Each time I'm like, you don't have a chance. This kind of reedy Englishman, but you know what? I, I guess he's Scottish in real life, but this is reedy character. But then he did it. He beat yeah. him. So, yeah. you know? All it took was I a was wrong. Good and, on yeah. you, Dr. Blight. You used, you used the uh, geography around you in order to defeat a stronger <laughs> opponent. And that's what a true master does. Yeah. When so, Hulk Hogan— Clearly, he's read The Art of War. Yeah. <laughs> when Hulk Hogan— wakes up in his mansion, you know, disoriented, thinking that it was all a dream, and then, like, seeing himself in, you know, Santa outfit. This was, again, a moment where I thought, like, it's not that the acting is good, <laughs> but it is pitched at a different level than I expected because he really made me feel the horror of, like, waking up realizing that you've lost several days and not knowing, like, what happened. <laughs> like, it was a little too, he was a little too distressed for a movie like this. And that's this. in the same movie as Clint Howard's Policeman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, Blake is concerned. He's starting to remember things, and he's remembering what has happened over the last couple of days. There's he blood on his hands. Why? There's blood all over himself. <laughs> um he tr and <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, a scary note penned on his uh, bathroom mirror, <laughs> um, and he's missing he, a kidney. He's at a, he wakes up in a bathtub of ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's like, I have muscles, but not all my organs. Um, he tries to, so he tries to call the orphanage, but Frost's goons intercept the call and try and scare him off by playing a recording that makes it seem like they don't want to see him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goons then show up at the orphanage. Classic Time Home Alone now. Yep. <laughs> uh, they start to round up the kids and adults. Even Ebner Frost shows up. He shows up in his full suit. He's like, you got me... Uh, on set for two days. This is day number two. Um, <laughs> I will be at two different locations, and this is the other one. <laughs> one of them has to be a house. I and be able and to when watch the kids TV. are around, I'm wearing the hazmat suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they they all go down to the vault, uh, but they have to break in. Uh, Lenny uh, calls up Blake, who is depressed, but he inspires him to save the day. So... Blake gets his staff together. They all jump in the Jeep and they head out, of course, starting another high-speed chase with police. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then they try and dissuade some of the police by throwing his various food supplements, his uh, his, uh, weightlifting supplements at the police cars. Uh, he and his staff break into the orphanage. Uh, this and is, then did, with, did you cut, did you skip the part where the police shoot a rocket launcher rocket at I his did. car? Yeah, I did. Do you this, want, do you this, want to describe it? Yeah. I, felt like, I felt like there was, there was a no greater indictment of the over militarization of the police <laughs> sure. than this moment where one of them has a shoulder mounted rocket launcher that he fires at ostensibly four civilians were guilty of nothing more than reckless driving. Luckily, <laughs> they only destroyed Clint Howard's car, which leaving Clint Howard soot covered but unscathed otherwise. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it yeah, seemed like the movie is... was like, it's like the movie had flop sweat on it. It was like, uh, what would make this exciting? Uh, this, uh, an explosion, uh, whatever. What do you need? Kids, what do you want? Well, see, now, if another infamous producer had made this, Jack Abramoff might have gotten one of those rocket launchers from one of the Mujahideen while making Rambo 3 and then brought it to this set. But instead, it's Jordan Belfort, so who the hell even knows? (laughs) It looks like John Landis wasn't directing this. Or they would all die. Or he would throw a bunch of helicopters at those kids. Yeah, Hulk Hogan (laughs) would have been murdered, and we would still have Gawker to this day. And it's a good thing Max Landis didn't write it because that's always a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, okay, so they're at the orphanage. Uh, Blake, along with the help of the kids and his uh, staff, managed to pick apart the goon squad one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get lots of laughs. It's hilarious. Um, let's see. Um, okay, they beat up all the goons. Garrett Morris then takes Blake aside and reveals that Blake grew up at that orphanage. He had a different last name I... and that he was close friends with Ebner Frost, who was also the orphans. Does he not know this already as some like residual amnesia, or has he just put that so far behind him? Like it's unclear, I, I was Daniel. So confused. Unclear. It's unclear. <laughs> like, yeah. Why, once he had regained his memory, he <laughs> he was so surprised to be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this guy I've been fighting." I know him, and I grew up here. <laughs> How many Ebners do you meet in the course of a lifetime? You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is a. It, this is another twist that took me by surprise. Not quite as big a surprise as the cavern of electric jewels, but uh, the idea that oh yeah, by the way, you don't remember you grew up here, and he's not just a bad guy; he's your old best friend. It was like movie. What are you doing? Like, this is, this is it's his own prequel. Don't you remember? <laughs> you you caused him to lose his hair in an accident. That's why he hates you hates to this the day. Yeah, and also, why if Garrett Morris was sitting on this information, why didn't he bring it up at any point when? 
an amnesiac who thought he was Santa was living in his house with him. <laughs> there were a couple moments where he let slip little tidbits where you're like, he knows more than he's letting on. That's but true. he was he's saving like, it all for the big reveal. I get Good it. point, good point, yeah. So Blake has a showdown with Frost in the cavern. Uh, it's super <laughs> exciting, everybody. And it leads to a, a growing explosion. So they all have to evacuate. And then we see the entire orphanage building destroyed by a like <laughs> magical electro implosion. Yeah. Where it like, gets sucked in on itself. It's kind of cool. And it manages to convert this very real building into a series of obvious flats that have been <laughs> arranged in the shape of a building. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and the police and reporters show up. They take away the goons. They interview everybody. Everybody has a good time. But <laughs> wait, wait. The orphans have nowhere to live. Or do they? Because everyone moves in with Blake. Hooray! Yep, a happy ending. He becomes a true Santa. Yep, like he becomes like world. a real-life Santa. Like all billionaires. And I assume he's... I assume he's going to run for Congress as a Republican since having questionable adoption practices in your house or with your family is a thing that they like to do sometimes. (laughs) And there's a little moment where they, uh, using a telescope, uh, spy on Frost and his goons who are in some kind of like prison (laughs) work camp. Yeah, Yeah, they're doing in some kind of co-ed prison because the the lady hench – Man is there also, and they're they're doing they're in striped uniforms like it's the most cartoonish yeah. prison they could be in. Yeah, and Blake, <laughs> yeah, they're they're looking at him through a telescope. The rest of this movie, has. <laughs> yeah, after the realism of the movie, I was thrown off. Yeah, know? and and Blake looks to see what they're looking at. It's them in in prison. And they all laugh, and I'm like, wow, you're really like teaching these children a great <laughs> lesson of like just like take joy in your enemy's pain. Yeah, like, exult in the defeat of your opponents. Yeah. And there's Especially no one way. of them was your childhood best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that this billionaire would let there be a fucking prison that close to him, right? No, no, uh, no. We don't know how powerful that telescope is. I was going to say, it's a very strong telescope. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Okay, so we have, that's the end it's of the It's the telescope from Body Double. So, you know, it's, it, it, it can see anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best telescope. Santa with muscles. Uh, let's do final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, a movie kind of like, guys, here's the thing that, confounded me with this movie. Tell me why you loved it and you cried at one point. No, All no, right, no. I'm ready the, the for thing it. that confounded me was like, how, how do I rate this? Because it, it occurred to me that a normal human, one who had so this not, is not, for me, not watched <laughs> a billion bad movies in their lifetime and was not watching this alone, <laughs> but... Was watching Santa with muscles the only way one should, which would be, you know, with a bunch of drunk friends at a holiday party. Mm-hmm. Um, like someone like that might really enjoy the experience of Santa with muscles because it is bizarre <laughs> and miscalculated and a bunch of weird stuff happens. Uh, that said, me, Dan McCoy, the human who has seen a lot of these was pretty bored <laughs> at a certain <laughs> point. Uh, so... You know, since I believe in uh, in criticism, you can't necessarily like speak to other people. Like, I feel like you get into a dangerous area. I feel like you there. have to speak to other people, otherwise, no, you're, just, no. you're just talking to yourself <laughs> as you you wander around your house. Yeah, I, I look, I, or an alleyway. I, the reason Good I would point. be the reason I would be the kind of uh, movie critic that people would get angry at all the time would be is like I believe very strongly in only speaking to my subjective 
uh, like uh, experience of something rather than being like, I don't know. Like, I think that once you start wondering like how other people are going to react to something, you're getting into trouble. Personally, that's my philosophy. So if you want a real Armand White style letterbox, follow me and see like <laughs> the whimsical <laughs> star assignments I give things. Anyway, point is, for me, it was bad, bad because I got bored. But I recognize that for other people, it probably is a good bad. So thanks for that final judgment recommendation of your letterboxed profile. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm trying to find Dan's letterbox review for Santa with, oh, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to call this a good, bad movie. Uh-huh. Possibly that's because I watched this right after X versus Se- Ballistic X versus Ever, which we did <laughs> for our last flop TV. And after that, just the fact that this had a, a plot I could I could grasp uh, yeah. and, and characters that did things uh, that made some modicum of sense uh, that it may have gotten me on the, on those fundamental levels. But uh, I would say I could see this working as a good, bad movie, not as a good movie. I, my my older son really wanted to watch this movie with me. He kept begging me to watch it alongside me, and I'm glad that I did not give in to that. I think it would have been a waste of his time. I'd rather waste my time on this earth than his time on this earth. <laughs> and then imagine the late embarrassment years later when he's like, I begged to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Why well, didn't my, you stop me? Or my worry well, is that- wait, when you're, I learned it from you, Dad. When, when you're a kid, sometimes you watch crap and then you now, love it because you watch it as a kid. That later he'll be like, oh yeah, Sam with Muscles is a good movie. That's now I'm curious. I'm curious, Elliot. Were you afraid of the content in Santa with Muscles? Why, why weren't you? Because this seems like if you're going to do it at any time, sure. Let him watch I, Santa with Muscles. I had two fears. <laughs> uh-huh. um, one, my first fear- that I would that be wasting <laughs> that my wasting my son's time and my second fear that he would love it and he'd yeah. want to watch it from that point on and I'd be like what did I do <laughs> like when you when uh, I remember cuz I saw I caught him with a cigarette and I said okay you have to smoke a whole carton with cigarettes and uh-huh. a carton of cigarettes and he's addicted to him now he loves them like there's no he's smoking cigars uh, so that was a bad move parents Vaping. don't do that no, yeah. on, on, on oh, breakfast man, all day <laughs> we do a regular thing cigarettes called. are cool. <laughs> <laughs> on breakfast all day we have a segment called was it great or were you eight? Uh, because yeah. I think a lot of yeah, there's yeah. a lot of folks who carry these movies are like, oh, it's, it's it's so awesome. It's like, wait, how old were you when you watched it, and have you watched it since? You know, so, not yeah, every movie I, is the Dark Crystal, which I loved at eight, and I still love today. Fair you know, enough, but yeah, yeah, no, and you they can be both, you know. But I, I think it's very good parenting on your behalf to like, you know, the, there's got to be some gatekeeping going on. It also didn't help that I uh, just out of my the older I get, the more I want to gatekeep the amount of Christmas content that my children have to, are subjected mm. to. <laughs> they're already complaining that at the holiday concert at school, the, the every year there's one Hanukkah song and it's always sung by a class that my kid is not in. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, he's like, why don't I ever get to do the Hanukkah song? So the, uh, so I'm going to say not just, uh, not just I would, uh, if I was going to order a movie in a Spanish restaurant, I would not just say Santa sin muscles instead of Santa con muscles, <laughs> but I would say, Seen Santa, not con Santa. <laughs> because if any movie is going to make your kid Christian, it would be Santa with muscles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to be part so of that. He, I'm so worried he would find it hilarious. I don't want that. I don't want to live in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu or Alonzo, what do you? Uh, yeah, okay. I guess I'll say good, bad. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's not well made. Uh, it's not particularly <laughs> funny. Uh, but it's, I don't know, it's pretty silly. And uh yeah, I mean, it's not good. So I guess good, bad. <laughs> Inclusive. I guess, you know, by eliminating all the other options, you've come to a 
<laughs> yeah, I'm a bad bad on this one. I mean, I'm a I'm a famously soft touch for holiday stuff. I will be watching all 40 new Hallmark movies this year, but even <laughs> I have my limits. And I'm a little older than y'all, so I don't have like any kind of childhood affection for Hulk Hogan to get me through it. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a drag. But it is cool to see. Like, you know, uh, Mila Kunis already perfecting her, like, mm-hmm stare. Yeah, uh, yeah. which I is, roll, a, you yeah. know. There's a moment yeah. where uh, after she's given Hulk Hogan his newer, sexier outfit, and Lenny goes, <laughs> what about my clothes? And she's like, keep your pants on, and walks away. And I just love, she goes so quickly from friendly kid <laughs> to acid kid so in, in, in a moment. <laughs> yeah. If you're black, you probably love you some Paramore, huh? Or what about the TV show Golden Girls? Ginger Ale? Daytime television? Don't lie, I know you love at least one of them. I'm Sequoia Holmes, pop culturist and host of Black People Love Paramore. Contrary to the title, it is not a podcast about the band Paramore. Each episode, I, along with the special guest co-host, dissect one pop culture topic that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with Black people, but we know we like. Tune in every other Thursday to the podcast that's dedicated to helping Black people feel more seen. Black People of Paramore is now on the Maximum Fun Network. Check out the most recent episode featuring Shar Jassel today. Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens allure uh, persists. They have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, mommy. Smash me, mama. I smash me, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> The sirens alone. <laughs> Why do we strand. do this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand, strand me, me, baby. So, yeah, this is my brother, my brother, and me for Maximum Fun on Mondays. It's just like that. Just like that, but more, it's just like that, but more of it. There's, there's just more of that. Our podcast is sponsored in part by Factor. What's Factor? Well, my friends, it's America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. It can help you eat well this bustling holiday season with chef-prepared, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You can skip the meal planning. You can skip the grocery shopping, the chopping and prepping. Elliot hates chopping and prepping. Hate and cleaning it. up and get Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in just two minutes. So all you can do is heat and enjoy. Choose from 35-plus Chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus, and more wholesome options. I try these factor meals. Uh, I I enjoy cooking, so I am the most apt to be dubious of this kind of thing. But uh, I was like, these are great meals, <laughs> honestly, for like a, a pre-made thing you can get and just like cook. It, it, it tastes like a homemade meal, it was very nice to have something convenient around as an option for those times that I, even I, get tired. Even me, the Adonis you, you see before you, energy, yeah, gets tired. The sleepiest on the podcast. Head to factormeals.com slash flop50 and use code flop50, that's the numeral 50, not the word 50, to get 50% off. That's code Flop 50 at factormeals.com slash flop 50 to get 50% off.
Now we've got uh, food for you and your human companions covered. Mm-hmm. What about those furry friends that live in your home? That's right. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Smalls. Smalls makes protein-packed, preservative-free meals for that kitty in your life. That's uh, real ingredients that you uh, put in your fridge and you don't just sit out on a counter somewhere. Um, (laughs) And Smalls has also recently kicked off a partnership with the Humane Society. This is a big deal. They've donated over a million dollars worth of cat food to help cats through the Humane Society. And they even give you a chance to donate when you're checking out. Um, I love my cats. I put a lot of uh, thought and effort into keeping them uh, off my back and off my chest, yelling at me for giving them food. And you know what? Smalls provides that food and they love it. And if you're anything like me and you like uh, your favorite thing to do is to stick your face directly into your cat's fur, well, (laughs) uh, Smalls does provide uh, food that will often lead to a shinier coat and just a healthier cat in general because you want to put your face in a healthy kitty. I love doing that, and I have cat allergies, but I still do it. Yeah, you, you, you know, it's, it's worth the suffering. Mm-hmm. So is your cat food giving back to cats in need? Well, Smalls is. So if you want to give Smalls a try and ditch kibble forever, head to smalls.com slash flop and use promo code flop at checkout for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code FLOP for 50% off your first order. Now use my code FLOP. No, one last time. That's my promo code FLOP for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. Hey, enough about other people's products. What about the Flophouse's products? Yeah, that's right. The mm-hmm. Flophouse has some, some stuff going on, as you heard <laughs> at like the top of this ep- expired Flophouse ground meat. <laughs> here's some stuff we got laying around the house buy it from us uh so as you heard earlier in the episode at the very top of the show the flop house is going on tour it's the flop house the errors tour four stops on the west coast the best coast we're starting on january 24th wednesday in vancouver it's an international show at the rio theater and we're going to be talking about cobra starring sly stallone himself will sylvester stallone show up well i can't promise anything but perhaps a mediocre impression of him will then the next night thursday january 25th we'll be in portland oregon at the aladdin theater we're going to be talking about cool as ice that's right vanilla ice is back in a movie that he made 30 (laughs) years ago and we're going to talk about it the next night friday january 26th we're going to be in san francisco as part of san francisco sketch fest we're so excited to be a part of it at Cobb's comedy club and we're going to be talking about Geely, that's right, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez. One one movie, two stars, a not very good title, Geely. It's going to be epic. And then two days later, Sunday, January 28th, we'll be in Los Angeles at the Regent – we'll be in Los Angeles at the Regent Theater, and we're going to be talking about the movie that kicked off the superhero film craze Spawn. That's, that's right. What a, what a trailblazer. Wow. So again, January 24th in Vancouver, Cobra. January 25th in Portland, Cool as Ice. January 26th in San Francisco, Geely. And January 28th in LA, Spawn. Go to flophousepodcast.com slash events for links to tickets and more information. And hey, let's say you don't live on the West Coast. Let's say you don't love us enough to travel to the West Coast to see us. Well, I'm disappointed, but I understand. (laughs) You can still see us broadcasting live in person through your computer screen by watching the last episode of Flop TV. That's right, there's only one episode left of the season. Flop TV, our online TV version of the Flop House, 
January 6th. It's the first Saturday in January. We're going to be talking about a movie that has haunted me like a promise that I didn't keep, and that's Nuki. That's right, the uh, German-South African E.T. ripoff co-production starring Glennis Johns and Steve Railsback, the story of two alien brothers who are really annoying, and they look terrible, <laughs> and everything about it is bad. That's going to be Saturday, January 6th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Get your tickets at theflophouse.simpleticks.com. Can't make it to the broadcast? Can't be there Saturday, January 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern? That's okay. Your ticket gets you access to the recording, which goes up later that night. And if you get a season pass, you'll have access to all the episodes of Flop TV. That's six episodes of original Flophouse Entertainment those episodes will be available to watch through the end of January when they will return to the Flophouse vault. And now let's return to our show, The Flophouse. Let us move on to the next part of the show, which is Stu making hand noises. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's, called, it's, it's called Foley work. It's, it's <laughs> letters. Dave letters. Foley work. Yep. <laughs> He's on Fargo now. He's working. Yep. <laughs> I'm happy for him. Letters from listeners. <laughs> This first letter is from Juniper, last name withheld, who writes, Dearest Floppers, I've been thinking of him again, Mel Brooks. <laughs> That's, that, was the original, that was the original line at the beginning of Rebecca, right? Yeah. <laughs> thinking of last, Mel Brooks again. Last night I went to Melderley again. <laughs> um, <laughs> dreamed I went to. I, I rewatched Spaceballs recently and remembered how much I loved the gag where Dark Helmet learns about his subordinate, major asshole, and learns further that he is surrounded by assholes. That got me thinking about name jokes, and I wonder, my dear Peaches, what are your favorite joke names in movies? References to Austin Powers are encouraged but not required. Yours and Floppage Juniper. Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I gotta say, I'm not the biggest name joke fan. It seems like, uh, you know, a dumb joke that breaks the Take reality that, listener thanks no, for no, writing I, in no, i'm just talking about my personal <laughs> I, I will say i'm not a huge fan of na name jokes that are like puns like the kinds yeah. you get in austin powers but i do like funny sounding names and the first names that came to mind are my favorite comedy is the miracle of morgan's creek the preston sturgis mm. movie and betty hutton's character's name is trudy Cockenlocker which is just a funny-sounding name. And yeah. much of the movie is her searching for a man named Ignatz Ratsky-Watsky, and I think those are very <laughs> funny names, and I laugh yeah. every time I hear them. But they don't no, mean I, anything. I agree with you. I, I rather, you know, I like the Marx Brothers style, like, you know, Dr. Hackenbush or whatever, like mm -hmm. that kind Otis of— Otis B. Driftwood, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin is Michael Huffahar in uh, <laughs> The Man with Two Brains is a good one, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, do. Uh, I guess it's not a name, uh, quite a name joke, but uh, in The Wrong Guy with Dave Foley, yes. where he— You're mentioning the thing that I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you explain it better than me then, Dan? Well, no, no. You can, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's one of those gags that you see in movies all the time where, like, people are, like, looking around the room to come up with a fake name. Uh, <laughs> but he sees only the most inappropriate things that make it— clear that he's doing a <laughs> fake name. I almost don't, I, like, I'm not getting more specific because I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, I think people should just look fun, up yeah. <laughs> uh, that scene. I'm sure it, it's hard to see the wrong guy, but I'm sure that that scene's got to be on YouTube. <laughs> I, I will also give a shout out to Ned Beatty in um, Back to School as Dean Martin. 
That's pretty uh, uh, yeah, that's at the good. at the college. Just because there's a scene where and it it looks like it was just improvised where where Roddy Dangerfield can't not laugh at the idea that this guy's name is Dean Martin. It's just like it's <laughs> it's just dumb, but it's, it makes me laugh. Rodney Dangerfield, normally such a staid performer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes, hard to break. <laughs> <laughs> I having re I watched Back to School recently, and so much of that movie is just him doing bits and everybody reacting. <laughs> him and i mean i know that's not a reveal but like there's something very silly like you don't see a lot of movies these days where it's just one guy doing dumb <laughs> shit and everyone's like i guess we're just a lot of cutaways to us smiling at him or laughing well <laughs> no, i, I do love like that early jim carrey that's what his movies were I yeah think. yeah people just but, observing <laughs> yeah that feels like a, i mean speaking of the marx brothers that feels like a throwback to marx brothers to me just to have like Rodney Dangerfield rolls into a party doing like bits like to an unseen audience while everyone around him reacts in Adrian Barbeau is his Margaret Dumont. Yeah. 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 I, I feel that's the, the, that's the kind of comedy I miss a little bit of is, is a comedy where there's a character who's just kind of doing stuff like that as opposed to like, um, we call it shtick. Yeah. Shtick. Shtick. Yeah. Shtick, doing shtick as opposed to the more, um, let's say, like, uh, riff-based comedy where characters are riffing together. I like when someone comes in and does written shtick and other characters, also, like, th this thing that used to bother me in the Marx Brothers, but now I like it, is that characters are super offended by what Groucho just said, and then they instantly forget it and are charmed <laughs> yeah. by him until he says the next thing, and then they're offended for a moment again. And they never leave the conversation. They, like, they're, they it's all have the memories of goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, no. it, really, it really heightens the artifice that, they, that they'll be like, oh, oh, well, I never. Anyway, continue. <laughs> there always be that turn when, like, suddenly when he's talking to Margaret Dumont, he'd be like, but can't you see what I'm trying to tell you is that I love you? <laughs> and like, oh, well. Professor Firefly. <laughs> um, okay, this next uh, letter is from Tracy, last name withheld. It's more educational than, than it is uh, questioning. Okay. Mm. Stuart solicited romance rec recommendations but did not specify subgenre. So I will recommend A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor by Catherine Moon, which is a PNR slash RH. Does that mean that's, that's one of those one of those books where a lady has sex with a velociraptor? Hope so. Uh, well, close. Chuck Tingle. P <laughs> Apparently, that stands for Paranormal Romance slash Reverse Harem, aka hmm. more than one male love interest for our female lead. Okay. Since Stuart likes monsters, I thought he might like this a one. A real harem scarum, if it's paranormal. <laughs> since it's a human woman happily getting down with a series of monsters starting from, like, page 10. Right. It's a romance and not straight erotica because they all have a H-E-A, happily ever after, together. Oh. Also, it is That's a well-written book and occasionally something other than sex happens. You can skim those parts. Since <laughs> you're just starting in the romance genre, I thought you might appreciate learning some of the codes... I started re reading romance during the pandemic, and for a while there, I didn't know what any of them meant. Happy reading, Tracy. Now, see, you can enjoy both romance and cryptic codes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like cryptic codes. I, I will say, me mentioning uh, a new interest in romance uh, fiction has been the most listener engagement I've ever had. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, did I add too much to your... Uh... No, it's great. I love it. Uh, my, my reading list has gotten longer, though. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, Somehow, when I first developed my love of Czech New Wave cinema, it did not result in the same kind of <laughs> <Weird>. average. <laughs> Where are the letters, I ask you? Yeah. 
Uh, let us move on to the final segment where uh, we give our recommendations of movies that we've watched and enjoyed recently. Um, I want to recommend... It's a segment we call A View for You. Uh, we could start calling it that. Um, okay, Alex, go back and add this to every single episode. <laughs> uh, in passing, because this is our Christmas uh, episode, I'm just going to mention, this is not really like my recommendation, but uh, Audrey and I watched The Most Wonderful Time of the Year from 2008. And on the sliding scale of made-for-television uh, Christmas things, the, this was some pap that went down easy thanks to Henry Winkler giving it way more than needed for this kind of movie. Uh, just showing what a gym he is. and Once how, again, a Jewish person making Christmas content that mm -hmm. people love. Making Christmas. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, all those monsters were Jewish too. <laughs> yeah, Halloween uh, Town is a shtetl. I finally caught up to... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which I had wanted oh, yeah. to see in the theater because I'd heard good things but didn't manage to. But uh, really enjoyed it and was really surprised by, like, I wouldn't have thought that what I needed out of a Teenage Mutant Ninja movie, Turtles movie was more heart. Like, I never would have thought, like, oh, that's the winning ingredient because it just doesn't seem like that sort of thing. But, you know, turns out that adding relatable characters and making you care about them is the secret ingredient to most narrative. Uh, and uh, I really just appreciated how they felt like, in this case, they were like, let's lean on the teen part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, tell kind of a, a weirdly relatable story about, you know, how they feel lonely uh, and and what they do to... Uh, counteract that and you know it's uh it looks really pretty it's a lot of fun i did uh, you know like there was a bit where I, like we've talked about a lot on the show i've started to check out more in action movies unless the action is really like cleverly done and so there's like a some parts of it where i'm like ah, i'm less interested in this get back to the stuff about them being like cute teen turtles but uh it's, it's the movie that i feel like has best cap of all the Ninja Turtles things. It's best captured what I like best about the Turtles comics when they're done well, which is they feel mm -hmm. like a family of brothers. Splinter is their dad. Like they, where yeah. they're not just, it's less about them as a team of ninjas and more about that they're four brothers who have grown up together and they care about each other. And, they, yeah. and that really comes across in the movie, which is really nice. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of fun, very sweet. That's one Looks I good. took my older son to and he really liked it. And I want to keep him watching movies like that and not Santa with muscles. So, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and, and, and part of the sweep of uh, Iowa Debris this year between uh, the, the Bear on FX and Bottoms, which is one of my favorite movies this year. I didn't love Theater Camp, but she's fun in it. And she's, yeah. the, she's the new April O'Neil. Mm -hmm. oh. No, she's, she's so good in everything. And a good uh, Letterboxd follow. Oh. Mm, okay, man. Dan, All are you getting back paid to by Letterboxd? What's going on? <laughs> I like Letterboxd. He fucking should be, dude. <laughs> Sponsor him. Uh, if you were going to be an influencer of anything, it would be either that or like baking products. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. you'd be great at both of those things. Redboxed. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I guess I'll go next. Um, I'm... Uh, what should I recommend? Should I recommend a gross movie <laughs> Maybe or you shouldn't a go good next. movie? <laughs> That's a question you're still answering for okay, yourself. Okay, I'm still trying to answer. You, someone else go. 
Uh, I'll go then. Uh, I'm going to recommend, I saw yesterday the movie everybody's talking about, probably the best movie of the year coming out this year, right at the end. That's right, Godzilla Minus One. Uh, this is the new Japanese Godzilla movie directed by, written, directed by Takashi Yamazaki, and it is set, I don't want to tell you too much about it, but it's set right after World War II, and Godzilla is at his best when he is a metaphor, as with all monsters and horror things. And this one, it is very much about a overcoming the trauma of Japan's experience in World War II and also overcoming the trauma of the kind of philosophy, the national philosophy that, that they enacted during that war. And, it was, and to, to watch a movie that is very much on the side of um, the side of life against the kind of honorable death aspects that are even there in the original Godzilla. Uh, and it's got a lot of, it's, as Dan was saying with that Ninja Turtles movie, it's got a lot of heart. It's very focused on the human characters and their experience, but the Godzilla scenes are genuinely very scary and very, like, devastating, you know? And uh, it really plays off of the original film in a lot of ways. It uses the, uh, a number of the songs from the score of the original film in some really powerful ways, and I really liked it. It's exactly what I wanted from a Godzilla movie, which is a certain amount of awe and a certain amount of character and a certain amount of just, like— A certain amount of claw. A certain amount of claw. Yeah, awe and claw, you know? <laughs> Elliot, uh, can you can you just— you know, cut to the end and tell me how chonky is Godzilla in this movie? Stu, you are going to be happy as a clam. Yay! He is super chonky. So you first see Godzilla when he's. I'll spoil one thing: is that the first time you see Godzilla, it is a younger Godzilla. He's a little more lithe, but by the time you get your real Godzilla character, they have seen the American Godzilla and they have taken it up a notch in the arm to thigh ratio. Those arms are small <laughs> and those thighs are, are bonkers. They are thick. Yeah. And it's his head's squat little. Daddy. So yeah, this is a, this is a very, this is a, you're going to be very happy. This is a real Chonkzilla. I'm confused interest yeah. in Godzilla. Godzilla where, never I, skips leg day. I actually went to see it last night with friend of the podcast, Brendan Hay. And I said, when the movie was over, I'm like, I said, Stu is going to like this Godzilla design. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, yeah, I can go. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend two movies. Uh, I hope I'm not sniping our guest again. Uh, I am going to recommend a Argentinian horror movie that I saw a little while ago called When Evil Lurks. Uh, it's a gross one. Um, it just hit Shutter. It is about a pair of brothers who uh, discover a infected, uh, a big guy infected with a demon, and they're like, let's just chuck him out the, chuck him down the road. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that does not end things. And uh, it kind of has the vibe of like, kind of like an Evil Dead, but there's a little bit of rules, but you don't quite know what those rules are. Uh, so there's mayhem, and it's gross. Like, there's genuinely fucked up gross stuff in it. Uh, but it also feels like there's, I don't know, it feels like there's a little bit of a, like a, uh, like a, a set of rules and like a, a plan involved. It isn't just mayhem for mayhem's and, sake. And when does evil lurk? Like, uh, like uh, the whole time until or? the end or not, who knows? <laughs> okay. So um, much lurking. But it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> at yeah, a certain point lurking becomes shirking. Let's just and be there's, honest. <laughs> there's a certain amount of bleakness to it, but I feel like, uh, it, uh, I think it overcomes it by still having some fun, gross stuff. And it, it doesn't feel as mean-spirited as it could feel. Uh, and I'm going to recommend a, a good movie called The Holdovers, which I haven't recommended yet, which I saw the other day. I loved it. Paul Giamatti is great. Uh, Divine, uh, wait, what's her full Joy name? Joy Randolph. Thank you. She is great. Uh, yeah. The whole cast is great. It's so much fun. 
uh, it was like, I saw it right before Thanksgiving and I was in kind of a weird place emotionally and it was kind of the balm that I needed at the time. Like it was something very homey about it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I'm a sucker for 70s stuff and any movie where characters are drinking Jim Beam and Miller High Life gets a thumbs up from me. Uh, so Interesting way to judge the movies. Yeah. Yep, that's all. Those are the only criteria I need, Elliot. I'll I wish put the, I'd I'll love put those to say in my movie for Stewart's contingent. <laughs> I'd love to say any movie where they eat Popeyes is fine with me, but Little Nicky is the one movie where they really go all out with Popeyes. <laughs> they really still haven't talked about I think it. Yet. Supergirl yeah. has a prominent Popeyes. Supergirl does have a does. prominent Popeyes yeah. scene. Yes, that's true. They go there on a date, a daytime date of a group of friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, holdovers uh, and when evil lurks. Nice. Well, listen, so, I mean, Pat, you, Argentina reminded me there's a really great movie out called The Delinquents that is the Argentine entry for the Oscars that I highly recommend. Uh, but I, we're at the time of year where, for me, like, uh, as we're recording this, I'm about to vote for, with LA Film Critics. I'm about to put together my top 10 list. I've been looking back at the year. And a movie that I really love this year that I kind of feel like a lot of people didn't see or aren't talking about or maybe just liked less than me. I don't know. But I want to recommend it anyway. It's an Italian film called Limit. Barbie? Uh, which one? Barbie. Barbie. People just talking about Barbie. <laughs> yes. No one's Have seen you it? heard yeah. about Barbie, you guys? I <laughs> know. Uh, it's an Italian film called Lamentata. Uh, it stars Penelope Cruz. She plays uh, the mother of a trans son, but no one understands that this kid is trans because it's the early 1970s. And so they keep dead naming him. And uh, the, Penelope Cruz is maybe the, sort of the one character who kind of figures out what is going on with her oldest child. And there's other things happening in the home and in the family that are complicated. But it's mainly about this kid sort of figuring his way out in the world and having these really great fantasy musical sequences and also these musical sequences that are not fantasy, but it's just like, hey, we're going to put a record on and set the table. And the director turns that into this sort of like cool, musical, dancey, choreographed moment in the midst of this otherwise fairly realistic drama. Mm. The early 70s production design is just like spot on. Like the group of Italian moms took me back to like being a kid in the early 70s and like my parents and their friends who were all like immigrants from Spain or other places. Um, it's really moving. The director is also trans and I think there's a there's an autobiographical nature to the film. Um, but yeah, it is just a, a wonderful, movie. It is currently streaming uh, if you are a subscriber to Prime Video. If you get Hoopla through your library, you can watch it for free. Otherwise, it is rentable. But um, yeah, the director is uh, Emmanuel Creolace, and it's one of my faves of the year. So yeah, Lamentata. Check it out. I'm looking forward to watching that. I, I was not familiar with it at all. If it had Godzilla in it, maybe I would have heard about it Well, earlier. I mean, and, and Godzilla is immense. You know, you, you <laughs> think no, the title yeah. might mislead you into thinking. But. Especially There's his no thighs demons these days. in it, right? There's no demons that eat brains or anything? Uh, only if you count the patriarchy. Okay, I do. <laughs> the ultimate brain-eating demon, yeah. <laughs> now, Alonzo, before we sign off, I know you do like 80 different things, so <laughs> I would like to afford you some space to plug a few of them oh, or all of them. thank you. Thank you. Uh, as mentioned, yes, I write reviews for thefilmverdict.com. Um, I do a whole bunch of podcasts, including Linoleum Knife with my husband, Dave White, here on the Maximum Fun Network. I'm one of the hosts of Maximum Film. Uh, Christy Lemire and I have a show called Breakfast All Day that you can watch on YouTube or uh, subscribe to as a podcast. And I make very regular appearances on Deck the Hallmark, usually talking about non-Hallmark, non-Lifetime, made-for-TV Christmas movies. Um, and tis the season to once again 
again mention that I wrote a book called Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. I also co-wrote a book with the Deck the Hallmark guys called I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies. That's That latter one is about Hallmark movies specifically. The other one is more about Christmas movies in general. It's always a delight to be here. Uh, I'm going to put in a request for next December that mm. I want an Elliot Letter song because I never get one when oh, I'm that's here true. for some I've been, reason. I've been, I've, been, I've been taking some time because uh, I, you know— I want to make it special, but I'll do well, it for you. I want to witness that magic, uh, you know, IRL. And so <laughs> I saw, put I saw, it out there for Be careful. Year. Literally be careful what you wish for. It's <laughs> true. Uh, the monkey's paw is curling as we yeah. speak. Elliot saving his voice to be called up to be the new vocalist for Kiss when they reform without uh, the original <laughs> members since they just had their final show. I That's my some... main contract demand is not with the original members. I don't <laughs> I don't want to be involved with any of them. I saw someone online ask, like, has the letter song officially been retired? I haven't heard one in a while. And I, I restrained from engaging, but I, was like, <laughs> I, th I was th thought to myself, no, I think that the letter song is something that Elliot didn't want to be trapped into <laughs> as an obligation. I found myself I found myself repeating myself a little bit more than I would have mm -hmm. liked with the letter songs. And so I think the time I think 2024 is when I going to be when I bring them back, but I'm going to try to do it in a new way or something that I mean in a new way. It's still going to be the same basic thing. But uh, I don't want to mm -hmm. paint you into an aesthetic corner. I understand that you are a creative person and you need nope. to follow but the I, muse where it takes you, but you know, sometimes we just want to hear the hits. I appreciate the exact <laughs> yeah. I, I, as as the late the late uh Lemmy said when people asked him, "Are you tired of playing Ace of Spades at every single Motorhead concert?" He said, "Yeah, but if I went to see Little Richard, I want to see him do Tutti Frutti." So, I get it. Like yes. you want you want to hear the song that you like from the person. So, I'll do it. I'll be back. You know what? Yeah. 2024 the year of the letters song. You know what? Nothing but letters songs. The whole oh episode. God. Yeah. Um, so I can retire. Right? <laughs> I mean, I guess if he's just singing. Um, uh, and before we go, we should say uh, thank you to Maximum Fun. Uh, there's a lot of great podcasts on there. Some of them with Alonzo. Go to MaximumFun.org. Uh, check that out. Thank you to Alex Smith, our producer. Um, he goes by Howell Doughty all over the internet just just look him up um <laughs> he just goes all over the he internet just go, he just goes he, he, he lets goes. rip yeah uh, doesn't care who has to clean it up yeah if you have the time uh go to uh, itunes leave us a review it really does help it's 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 you know they got algorithms rhythms and stuff you know Give these guys five stars they've earned it Thank you. Please, we've been just grinding away, guys. Just, you know, <laughs> even if you don't like us, just, uh, you know, for the hustle. Yeah, respect uh, the hustle. <laughs> yeah. Even um, if it's just for pity. Just for pity that we've locked ourselves in this bad movie cage. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're on Instagram um, trying to send people over there so we can abandon more hateful uh, social media mm -hmm. sites. Not familiar. Mm -hmm. Are there any social uh, media places mm -hmm. that are run by billionaire madmen? <laughs> well, all of them, but at least, <laughs> at least you know, Not some are less vocal. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yes. Letterbox is going. They might introduce a DM feature. Dan is salivating for no. Dan McCoy. I'm happy to find a place to talk to people that isn't suffused with hatred. Let me see Letterbox. What's the number one movie of all time according to it? Triumph of the Will. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. It's a woman meaning to slip into my DMs. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I've done all the business, so I'll just uh, sign off for the flop house. I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen, and I'm thankful to have our guest, Alonzo Duraldi. 
Bye. Bye. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Terrifying. Dan, are you okay? I don't like it. <laughs> Seemed like something was bad, bad was happening to you just then. Thanks so much for joining us again, Alonzo. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. This is this is now officially like part of my my December isn't really happening until like, <laughs> Yeah, like this is annual. We have two correspondents. You are our Christmas correspondent, and Jamel Bowie is our hedgehog correspondent somehow. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. So it's good for to have when, a niche. Yeah, for yeah. when we do the life story of Ron Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That was his nickname, Ellie. No, Don't make a face. Adrian Brody oh, in a role that will surprise you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he put on all that weight to play the yeah. part. He had to extend um, his penis just to play the part. I don't know. He looks like he's back. Yeah, Adrian Brody. He's pretty tall and thin. Yeah, he's. Yeah, or he's, I, think he's, it's, he's a, I think it's the nose that makes you think that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a natural symmetry that way. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially if he has a beard. Symmetry I'm very time. scared that this yeah. is what Alex is going to put at the end of the episode. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.